Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, what made it a great weekend, I was talking earlier about football, is that I got to see the Cowboys looked awful, the Giants looked awful, and the Redskins weren't even show up. And and as being an Eagles fan, it was a great thing because I know they're all, they've all won Super Bowls. We haven't. I know that. But, you know, live in the present, not the past. And the thing that made me the happiest is... I have never been an RG3 fan. I think he's overrated. And the guy, he was like a great completion percentage. And I think in the first half, he had 19 uh, passes completed. But they're for like 74 yards. I'm telling you, it's going to be a weird year. Because the Cowboys, I mean, I have nothing against Romo. I just, if he wasn't a Cowboy, I wouldn't dislike him. I feel bad for the guy. But everyone looked crappy. And I'm telling you, Eli Manning, he just, I don't know, it's going to be a great season. And uh, so that's all I'm saying. So watch out for the Eagles. People were doubting us. I got so many people were yelling me at this bar I went to. There's only, there only like five people in the bar. And I'm sitting there, me and, my, me and Joanne are watching a football game and my buddy Jose showed up and another guy. And these guys are sitting there, these two guys, now I'm an Eagles fan, going, oh, the whole first half. And I'm just like, guys, they're playing Jacksonville. So that's all I got to say. It's going to be a great year for the Eagles. I want to talk to my guest, Jeff Stilson. How you doing, Jeff? Good, Steve. How are you? Now, are you now? You're, you said you're from Washington. Are you a big Seattle fan, or who's I am. You know, I actually like Philly. Oddly enough, I love the system. I love Chip Kelly. And I'm just glad he's out of the Pac-12 because I went to the University of Washington, and uh, he would kick our ass every year. So I'm happy he's in Philly, and they're a fun team to watch. And plus, there's a Husky there who's playing running back, uh, backup running back. Uh, he's hurt right now. Um, Christ, what's his name? I can't remember names. Well, no, no, no. Ertz went. No, Ertz went to Stanford, I think. But the, uh, the, the tight end. The he's 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 on the injured list right now, but he's the backup running back. They kept him, and it was kind of controversial because uh, they thought that maybe the the two young guys they brought in this year would stick, but they didn't. Um, I'll remember his name in a minute. I, yeah, I can't think of it. It's funny because I'm trying to think who's because I'm thinking there was uh, in, who they put. Got hurt because it was everyone was saying because they had Sproles and they have you know of course Shady yeah. McCoy and they had gotten rid of uh, and Sproles Brown. ran well this weekend oh, right yeah, they yeah. both did I mean Sproles it's it's just interesting because you know it's one of those things as a Philadelphia sports sports fan being an Eagles fan it, they're just insane because I I I, I, I call them the Philadelphia sports. Uh, the Big Daddy Graham show every once in a while and we I listen to the listeners and we talk more entertainment me and him but it's just so funny when you hear it like if you had gotten the first half the calls would have been everyone going this team sucks right. where's Mark Sanchez Foles is a bust and then the second half oh we're going to the Super Bowl we're going wow. to the Super Bowl you are going to the Super Bowl. I don't don't jinx you it. You know, we know. So no, Seattle's just too good. I mean, uh, that kid Russell Wilson. I, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm sorry, everyone talks about Luck being the best quarterback, but uh, or young quarterback at least. But I think uh, Russell, he just doesn't make any mistakes, and you can't hit him. Right, he just, never takes a shot. You know, well, you were talking about RG three. RG three, he'll be out of the league in two years. He can't read, and he takes horrible shots, and he's skinny. Right, I, it's the same thing. Yeah. I agree. So now, now you know, as a kid, were you a big sports fan? Oh, huge! Because but we didn't have a team when I was a kid. Uh, Washington State. We had. I was a Rams fan, which was the the worst uh, fate any kid could have because uh, we would just lose to the Packers every year in the in the playoffs. Well, what I noticed is because when I did comedy, I was on the road, and you did stand up for a long time. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of comics are big sports fans. I don't know if it's because when you're on the road, you have a lot of free time and you can check the papers. But I mean, as a kid, did you love comedy and sports? Or were you thrown back and forth? Yeah, absolutely. My dad would sit us in front of the television set uh, for the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, any any comedy, anytime there's a stand up on TV, we would watch it. And we were big sports fans too. You know. There wasn't a lot of programming back in the day, so it was kind of just sports and and comedy variety shows. So yeah, we were we were huge sports fans and comedy fans. So you got lucky because you you grown up in the West Coast. You got the time difference. When I was yeah. little for Monday Night Football, once it was my birthday week. You know, because my birthday is October thirtieth. My uh, parents would let me stay up to watch that Monday night game when I'm little. But it was always started at you know nine o'clock, and by ten thirty, I was asleep. But you guys got it good because you could. I mean, when I moved out here, I was like, "This is great!" Like Sunday, all we were, we went out for breakfast, watched the ten o'clock game, went home, watched the one o'clock game, and I was like, "I can still watch the West Coast feed of Ray Donovan and whatever show." It's just it makes it great. It was great. I remember waking up as a kid, and we had to suffer through Notre Dame highlights. We'd wake up at like seven, my brother and I. We'd have to listen to uh, Notre Dame highlights, which was. Uh, 
I think uh, uh, Lindsey Nelson was the guy who was the uh, announcer for Notre Dame highlights. And then the first NFL game would come on at like 9.30. And then we'd watch, you know, the second game. And it was, it was heaven every Sunday. See, I got, because I, I was, before my girlfriend moved out here, I was going back and forth for a year and a half back east. And, and this was just two years ago. So I hadn't been back east for a long time. And it killed me because I was getting up the same thing. NFL Network, 7 o'clock in the morning. You can start watching, you know, the shows. For me, I'd get up at 7 out back east because it doesn't start till later. i put on the NFL Network and it'd be like an infomercial. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's 10 o'clock it starts here. Yeah. No, we had it. We had it good back in the day. We just didn't have a team. Washington State didn't have a team. So you, you went, you're a husky, right? I'm a husky. Yeah. Now, now, what was your major? Because you ended up going to comedy and writing. What, what, was did you follow? Did when did you know you were going to follow that path? I started doing open mics a little bit when I was in college. I did actually. I did one. I entered a talent competition, a campus talent competition, but. In the back of my mind, that's what I wanted to do. But I, I, when I went to the UW, I just studied a bunch of stuff. I ended, graduated with a degree in economics just because at a certain point I had to graduate, and that was the easiest path. But I took a lot of foreign languages, and uh, I, at some point I thought I was going to go into international business, but that that ended quickly once I hit the stage. Well, you said you, you started off doing the comedy then in Seattle. When you, yeah. When you got out of no, So how long did you hang in Seattle? And then I got out fast. I, I think I was out after nine months. I, I, I remember I did my first open mic in, in 84, in April of 84, and by January of 85, I was gone. And now where'd you go? I went to, uh, I hit the road. So I, mean, I just basically was on the road full time. But were you, I mean, you weren't working that long as an act. I mean, no. So how, how did you get to work? Clubs, were opening up everywhere and I had 15 minutes and that's all you needed to be an opener and I just went on the road and I just I sent out tapes uh, you remember that man it was so I oh was talking because you had to buy that it's like I tell people yeah. now you had to buy the tape you had to pay for the ship the, yep. the thing you had to get your headshot which back then there were you got that good lithograph deal for like you know a hundred bucks for whatever but there was a lithograph and people were like you need the eight by ten and every <laughs> press kit was like 10. six bucks and you're like wait a second i'm I, if i send these press kits i'm not gonna make any money it would take like two weeks to be rejected right you get this horrible letter back saying no we don't want you at our club but then when you were accepted or booked it was fantastic i still remember my first gig it was uh, tulsa oklahoma on the road it was my first gig on the road, and I was an opener. And but the great thing about being on the road was, you know, you you developed really quickly. You weren't just doing a couple open mics around town every week. You were doing seven or eight full sets every week. So I was a middle act within a year, and then in '89 I got a I I got booked on Letterman, and that made me a headliner. Now, were you, where were you living when you were, were you one of those guys who didn't have an apartment, you were just on the road? Yeah, I was pretty much on the road, and then uh, I, wa- I always wanted to live in New York, so by 88, I was, I'd set up an apartment in, in New York, and that became my base, and I was there for 13 years. Now, Letterman, that came after a pretty quick time you got it. Right? I got it in 89, I started in 84, so, and I, my first Letterman was May, I think it was May 9th. 1989 and um and then after that it was it was smooth sailing now did you get bumped i always hear stories people got their i didn't first get letter- bumped my first one okay no i didn't i got bumped a few times in fact what i found on letterman it was it was good to get bumped it was always because your name was mentioned he would always apologize and then they'd keep saying your name so you'd get your plug He'd say he's going to be at this club, and then you get to come back two weeks later and do your set. So it was, you kind of wanted to be bumped, and you got paid. You right, know? that's what it says. Everyone that says made, you got yeah, paid. that made a difference. So when you did Letterman the first time, it really changed your career. Were you were you very nervous? I mean, because you were probably on those other shows. Were you like on Comedy on the Road and all those shows? I did. I don't think I had done any of those by the time I did Letterman. But after I did Letterman, I'm actually vested in Afra in Aftra. Just because I did all those comedy shows for like eight years, they were everywhere. They were like they were everywhere, every, every and you channel. could make enough to get vested in after. So I will get a pension, about six hundred dollars a month when I retire, 
just enough to pay for my meds, I think, from after, just from okay. doing those crappy comedy <laughs> shows. Yeah. So after Letterman, yeah, who, who were you hanging out with in New York then? Who, who was your, your oh did my. you have a crowd? I mean, I Yeah, was, no, I hung out with Chris Rock and John Stewart and uh, Lou Schneider, who ended up writing on Everybody Loves Raymond, um, Colin Quinn, Adam Sandler, uh, Joy Behar, Susie Essman. It was I mean, really, it was a really good group of people. Kevin Meany. It was great. It was. We all, you know, we worked at uh, Catch a Rising Star, which was our home club. Louis Ferranda. Uh, Louis Ferranda. Oh God, still, so I got to talk to you. <laughs> he always had to talk to you like twenty feet from where you're standing. You I met just him. Talk to you where you're standing. I met him once, and I remember I worked at a club called Mitchell's in Palmyra, New Jersey, and a guy named Jim Labriola. Was Jim headliner. Labriola, oh, please. And I he, know Jim, he yes. Goes, he goes, oh, yeah, I'll get you a spot at uh, Catch. So I got, and Lewis goes, you're very funny. Maybe you should MC at our Princeton place for it. And I was just like, eh, shut up. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Princeton room was all right. Um, uh, Lewis was great, man. I loved Lewis. I loved all the New York clubs. We had a uh, Lucian Hold, a comic strip, great guy. Um, uh, Stand Up New York. Kerry Hoffman ran Stand Up New York. There's some good rooms. So you're working those clubs. And now uh, you're still going back on the road then? I mean, uh, yeah, and you're making- that's all I did. It was great. I mean, New York, you could actually make enough because there's so many clubs. You could make enough to um, not go on the road. But I always thought that it was better to go on the road because then your material wasn't just New York material. So I spent a lot of time on the road. And plus, your money's way better on the road. Once you did a Letterman spot, you know, you're making a couple grand a week on the road. And it was fun. You know, I got to see the country. I loved it. Now, what were some of your places, favorite places you played? Oh, man. Like what um, I'll tell you, some of them were off the beaten path. Uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, there was a place called Comedy Off-Broadway, which was a great room. Um, there was, uh, I'm trying to think, Kansas City had a great room. Uh, St. Louis, actually, one of the funny bones in St. Louis was good. Um, Atlanta was a great comedy city. Um Canada had some great rooms. Um, I used to work Vancouver, BC a lot because it was close to Seattle. They had a place called Punchlines there that I loved. I mean, there were just rooms everywhere. It was really fun. You felt like a cowboy. You know, you'd go out, you'd just disappear on the road, and you'd cross paths with other comics in the airport. You'd say, how you doing? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going north. How about you? I'm going south. See you again in two years. You know, it was a, it was a fun time. I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, I never got tired of the road. I mean, when I got off it, it was to write on Letterman, and it was the right time to get off the road now when you i know i remember seeing your act you're, you're very you heady material good stuff did you write a lot because it seems like you it's, yeah it seems like i mean because you know you know how you know how it is being on the road. i wasn't There's, much of a performer i was a writer i like to write and i didn't have much of a presence on stage or uh i just like to write and i i like to present my material on either the tonight show or letterman um and this is how old i am i was on the tonight show with johnny carson um but I love that part. I love that that discipline of putting together uh, a four and a half minute set for Letterman or a six minute set for the Tonight Show. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Now, when you would do it, when you, let's say when you did the Tonight Show, and then when you do Letterman, when you when you would put your set together, how many times would you work that? Before you went on, because I know some people will say they're. Go- I mean, I see people going, "Oh, we're doing the show, uh, and they want to have stage time." And it's like, well, if you're going to a crappy bar, I don't really think it's going to help your. I'm one of those people. I because I, mean, I don't want really to do stand up anymore. I mean, I just joke around with it once in a while. But I'm one of those people that never thought that people go, "Oh, you got to get hit stage every night." Well, five crappy bars to me wouldn't help me because you can't judge your material, and you sit there and, and it's just you get not insecure, but you go, "What am I doing here?" Yeah, no, it's it's weird because it's so artificial anyway. When you're working out a TV set, you just launch in. You go up on stage. There's no loosening up of the audience. You just basically launch right into your set because the whoever the producer is from the show you're on will be there to watch it, and they want you to just hit the stage and present it as if you're on the show. So it's very artificial. You don't necessarily get a good read on the material, but you do kind of get a sense of, uh, you know, how long your set is. I mean, you have to do some, you have to add 90 seconds onto your set or whatever because you're not getting the last that you're going to get in front of a a full studio. But um, it's also just good to get the words out a couple of times um though i did end up doing some without ever without ever 
um, going in front of an audience um, and just going straight to the show and doing it. I, w- what I would do later is I would just call the show and say, I have a set. If you have a fallout and you need someone, give me a call. And I like that better because you didn't have to go through the stress of, you know, uh, putting the set before the producer and hearing their thoughts and and fretting over, you know, what line you're going to close with. You just kind of put it together yourself and went by your gut. Now, you said you, you it was time for you to get off the road when you started to write for Letterman. How did that come about? I mean, what did he, he of course, he knew you because you were in the show. But was it was your agent pitching you or and were you just sitting there going, I want to stay and I don't want to write anymore? Um, I, mean, I want to write. Well, wanna... combination. I've met my wife, and I wanted to be with her instead of um, uh, some waitresses uh, that I met at the Funny Bone uh, in South Dakota or whatever. So uh, that was part of it. The other part was that the road started to kind of dry up in the early 90s, and um, just didn't want to be out there. I'd done it, I think I did eight years in a row, uh, more than 300 days on the road. So um, I had done it, and I was happy, and I never got—I I never hated it. But I just thought this is a great opportunity because at that time, Letterman—I was offered this job on Letterman, and as a writer, and and Letterman was the hot show. It was moving from Dave was moving from NBC to CBS, and it was just a huge opportunity. He was my idol, so I had—I got this chance to work for my idol. What was that like? Well, it's been great. I, mean, I, I love that. I, mean, I, I love that. I, when I was in guy. college. I mean, when I remember, you know, we would come after a party and, and we'd go and it'd be like 1230 and you'd sit there and you'd watch Letterman. That's, I and, remember that. And it was just, he was so different. And even though I watch him now, he's just, he's such a yeah, pro. He's and uh, so what was that like? I mean, were you intimidated working Yeah, for I was intimidated. And I wasn't much of a writer at that point, a TV writer. I didn't know anything about TV. I'd never written on TV before. I just loved that show. And, but you don't know, it's, it's like appreciating a, a brain surgeon you go well that's amazing but then when you actually have to to uh, um, perform the surgery yourself you have no idea what you're doing so it was a, it was a huge opportunity and it was a it was just hard work it was it was I've never learned so much in in such a short period of time um, you know you would write I remember writing between 75 and 100 jokes a day either in top tens desk pieces uh, monologue. I mean, you'd hit. I'd get there at nine, and back then there was no internet, so I had a stack of seven newspapers waiting for me. Seven newspapers. It was, you know, it was it was about a foot a foot high. The stack of newspapers, and you'd just you'd read through the, those newspapers for premises, for monologue and top tens and and whatever, and then you just write. And I ate all three meals there. I would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the show. And I'd go home at about 9 o'clock, having gotten there at 9 in the morning, and then I'd leave at 9 at night and just get home and fall asleep. And then wake up and do it all over again. That's what's amazing now, too, is with the internet. I mean, it's so much easier. I mean, oh my I just God. said, it's like, because we used to, a big thing for us is we would fax jokes to the Tonight Show. Yeah. So you would sit there, and I would always go, my, my course of plan was the USA Today. And they'd always do something that happened on the state. So you go, oh, okay, well, this uh, North Dakota, okay, we can do that. And because they had the quirky stories. And yep. so you would sit there and go, I can write from that. Because the, the main stuff. You know, you, if you're trying to freelance, they're not going to buy it from you because they have their the big boys who are writing like the big political stuff. But the little stuff, you go, maybe we can slide it in. But now it's like you can just Google anything. God, you go to a website like Newser, and the setups are written for you, right? <laughs> and you guys look at that. And go, oh my god, I, I, it's really everything on Newser is a two paragraph story. So you find, I mean, the premise is right there. So you can just. You know, n- knock out the punchlines. The premise is there. Whereas, I mean, you'd have to go through. I remember the the, the state section of USA yeah, Today. Yeah, that was a go-to move. Yeah, and you would, yeah, you would think, and, and, you know, yeah. and it would take so much time because you couldn't just. Now you can just type, okay, okay, what's going on? Oh, uh, Ray Rice, blah blah blah, blah Ray yeah. Rice, boom. There, yeah. it's like you're going, okay, Ray. Do I look in the sports? Do I look here? And it's just a pain in the ass reading the paper. I mean, you know, I loved it. That's why I used to love the Philadelphia Daily News because it was the one that was. A square, yep. so and had a great sports section. So you could just sit there and read that. It was great, and you would have to fold it. But besides that, it was—I mean—it must have been a pain for you. Well, we had. Let me see. I'm trying to remember the papers that that I read. I know all four New York newspapers, um, and then uh, I did the Washington Post, and I did USA Today, 
and I'm trying to remember what the other one was. There's one more, but those those well, the, the, those are six, seven, yeah. So and you're just desperate for you know premises that that are your own, right? So you, you how long did you write for Letterman? Uh, two years, and then I went to then I went on camera to. Uh, uh, Michael Moore's show, TV Nation. Okay, yeah. so you were uh, like I was a, a correspondent okay. writer on that show. Uh, that was a that was a bomb. That show. Now, did you did were you excited to go on the camera? Yeah, I, I I no, I wasn't. I guess I was kind of. I don't know. I auditioned for it and I got it. I had. To, I remember the audition. I had to go out on the street of New York and make citizens' arrests, and and then I was you know filmed while I did it and and. The first guy I approached, I, I was arresting him for jaywalking. And I don't know what Michael got out of this and why he thought this would determine if you're a good correspondent or not. I guess it had something to do with just having balls. But the first guy I approach, I try to arrest for jaywalking, and he, and he starts apologizing. He's almost in tears. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm just kind of out of my head right now. I, I, I just... Uh, I just got the results back from my uh, HIV test, and I'm positive. And back then, you know, that oh, yeah. was a death sentence, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's great, great first and interview. Yeah, I'm going, oh, this is going to be really good. So, uh, so I just remember apologizing, wanting just to go lie down for a week, and then. But I had to keep going because once you commit to something like that, and and I really did like the idea of the show at that time until I worked on the show, and um, but I did all right and I got the gig and was a correspondent. So you and then so that that was canceled after what? We didn't even go a full season. They Fox. Could, <laughs> After the first week, the uh, the ratings were horrible, and they they cut us short. I think we did seven of the eight episodes, that, and uh, and then I had to go to the Writers Guild to get paid because uh, they violated all the union rules on that show, so which is ironic. Yeah, so so yeah, yeah so they you, said get in line. When I went to the when I went to the Writers Guild, they go, "Oh, Michael Moore show, get in line." <laughs> Took me a year to get paid. It's just so you get done yeah. that. So now, and you don't want to go on the road anymore. So what are you, you going to do now? You sit there, I mean, what was your next course of action? Well, then I did, uh, after that, I actually did go on the road, and I did an HBO special. I did a couple HBO specials. I did one. I did the Young Comedian special. Uh, now, who, do you remember who was on that year? Yeah, you? yeah, it was uh, uh, Richard Lewis as the host, and John Stewart, and, uh, and um, uh, Anthony Griffiths, Anthony Griffin. Yeah, Anthony Griffin. Uh, Warren Huxtable, John Stewart. Did I say John Stewart? And, yeah. and Drew Carey. Okay. Yeah. So you did that. So then that, yeah. that was like a big thing. That was a huge thing. Because the HBO, was huge. they were like, yeah. the, the, as a comic, you were like, yeah. you'd be like, wow. You know, you sit there go, wow, that person was on it. You know, so I mean, so then you you started going out on the road again then. I started going on the road and uh, then did another HBO special, did a half hour for HBO. And then I started working with Chris Rock, first on Politically Incorrect. And then from that, he was a correspondent on Politically Incorrect. It was after his first special, Bring the Pain. And that was, that was so much fun. Uh, and then we did both conventions. We did the Republican Convention, Democratic Convention uh, for Politically Incorrect. And then Chris was offered his own show on HBO. And I was the head writer on that. Um, for five years. Well, that staff too. Like Louis C.K. was in the oh, staff. Oh, right? Louis C.K. I, mean, I, was, I was looking today because it was amazing. Yeah. Did you want it? Wanda wanna, Sykes. You won an Emmy for that. I think. We won an Emmy, and we were probably nominated for seven. So, what was that like being in that writing room? Because it's really everyone's across. But I think Bill Kelly. No, Bill Kelly wrote on a politically. Incorrect. Yes, Bill. Because Bill's a Philly guy. Uh, Steve um, O'Donnell. We had on that staff. Steve O'Donnell was one of the Steve head O'Donnell. writers on Letterman. Well, it, probably the most brilliant comedy writer I've ever was he the one who went as Steve-O before Steve-O there was a New York no no I know you're talking about I think the other Steve-O he wore the toupee yes there was one guy one Steve-O who wore a toupee and it was the best toupee I've ever seen he was very proud of the fact that he wore a toupee which kind of defeated the purpose of wearing a toupee because he'd always tell you you like this is a toupee you know and then he'd go if you have any friends who need a toupee send them to me I have a really good toupee look at this toupee he was incredibly proud of his toupee and it was amazing you couldn't tell you know toupees were not great and uh, Steve O had a great one Um, but no Steve O'Donnell uh was one of the head writers, I think, after Meryl Marco 
on Letterman, Steve took over, and he he's responsible for all that those incredible comedy pieces we used to watch on Letterman. Now, as a head writer, when you were a head writer on Chris Rock, what is the, what does a head writer entail? I mean, what makes the difference between a writer and a head writer? Just because it's- there's there's not much when you have a staff like we had. Like Louis was, you know, Louis was incredible. He his sketches. There are very few writers who can make you laugh on paper, and Louis could and Steve O'Donnell could. They would give you stuff, and you'd read it, and you'd laugh out loud. So we had we just had an incredible staff. Wanda Sykes was on camera, and she was a good writer as well. Um, uh, Ollie Leroy, who ended up... Uh, um, Everybody uh, Hates Chris. Everybody Hates Chris. He was the showrunner, Everybody Hates Chris. We just had a great staff. So basically, it was just helping Chris choose what was going to be on the show and then I also did you know and then you'd write your own stuff that you'd produce and I kind of headed up uh, monologue and then uh, pieces we shot out in the field so it was it was great man nobody is first of all rarely to get the opportunity to work for someone who is hilarious the way Chris is and a great guy I mean, just a great guy, and only got nicer. It was it was the opposite. The curve was the opposite of what you encounter most of the time. You know, usually as people become more successful, they become uh, uh, jerks. Right. But not Chris, man. He was just always. I still work with him. I, I do, we just did the BET Awards, and uh, he's he's hilarious. So the no one cri- makes me harder, laugh harder than Chris Rock. Really? That's so cool, though. No one. So, so the Chris Rock show ran for what? Three years? Five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Now, why did it end? Uh, Chris wanted to do movies okay. full time. So, so uh, yeah, the show went off the air. Um, that's heartbreaking too. It was the best gig I've ever had. Um, and then uh, I moved to LA. So what? I mean, what made you come to LA? You just decided- well, you know, at a certain point, you know, there are only. There aren't that many shows in New York, and I'd kind of worked on all the ones that I wanted to work on. I did The Daily Show, too, um, when John first started up there. And um, uh, I just thought I'd go out to L.A. Plus, uh, my wife and I had two kids at that point, so we wanted to have a house instead of an apartment. So, and there's just so much work in LA. And when, now, when you move out to LA, I mean, you have a great track record. You have a Emmy. What's, what's it like? What was it like going to the Emmys? Did you go? Oh yeah, no, I had a good run. I think I had, uh, I think I was nominated like 13 straight years on shows. But what was it like finally winning? It was, it, I was, mean, it was great. I won a couple of times. I won, uh, I won twice, and I was, but I had 14 nominations, and I only won twice. But that's still good. That's it's right, fun. You, got you don't really care, you know. It's it's fun to win, but. Just being nominated is cool. I know that sounds cliche, but it is. And you kind of feel like it's arbitrary at that point. It's it, you're, the, the competition. It, like, we were nominated. My the, t- the two years I was on Letterman, we were nominated. And we didn't win. And we were supposed to win for writing. And we didn't. We lost to Dennis Miller. And we were on five nights a week for an hour. And Dennis Miller was on once a week for a half hour. And... So they it, clearly there's an advantage there, but uh, anyway, so we lost. We were nominated, so it, you kind of feel as if it's arbitrary. Yeah. Well, that's and now like, we now we flip the equation on the other shows. We were on uh, for half an hour once a week, and we we're up against Conan and Letterman and all these other shows that are on five nights a week for an hour. So of course you're gonna you're gonna. Well, that's what's weird about the Ebony's too. I mean, we were watching it this year. My girlfriend's also a huge Letterman fan, and we're sitting there and. I, I don't watch Saturday Night Live because I, I just don't find it funny. It's not I, the new season. I mean, people might like it. I, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm watching the Emmys. Watch Key and Peele. I've heard that's great. Oh, my God. Well, they were good on Fargo. Did you see them on Fargo? Oh, yeah. They played this. They, do you know they've been together for so long because they just play each other off the perfectly? Watch Key and Peele. I mean, if you want to watch a good sketch, they just, you know, SNL is very hit and miss. I mean, well, and when it misses, it's brutal. Well, see, that was my problem, that, that SNL gets nominated for one of the late-night shows, but Letterman doesn't. And I'm like, there, there's not even a comparison, because Letterman is, he constantly, I laugh out loud at least once a night when I watch him. But it's usually during the interviews now. Yeah. See, he doesn't do a lot of produced comedy anymore. When we were, when we first, sorry, I moved away from the mic. That's all right, we can, we can hear you. Uh, when we first... Um, came on at CBS, we were doing 21 minutes of produced comedy every night. 
we were basically doing a sitcom every night. That's how intense it was. That's how much Dave wanted to be the king of late night. And now, if you watch the show, it's it kind of walks through the comedy as you as you will, just as as did Carson when Carson was in his mid sixties. It's just hard to do. I mean, we were we were there twelve hours. Dave was Dave worked harder than anybody. I mean, he would he was always in the office. He would sleep there some nights. So uh, now he just doesn't. There's not a lot of produced comedy. Um, his interviews are better than anybody's. No one interviews like that. Well, he's great. His interviews yeah. are great, and yeah. you can tell when he really likes someone. Yeah. you could just you can tell that if he. It's always like I remember because back years ago it was you could tell whenever Penelope M. Miller was on the show, or or, or there was uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yep, and he would he would just fawn over them, and it was great to watch it because you could just sit there. Again. I mean, he loved them. He'd be like you'd be sitting there, going, he'd be like a little schoolboy. Man, all, this is what I'll remember. I'll always remember about working on Letterman. You know, you work all day, then. You have the taping, and you've worked your ass off on this stuff. And whatever you wrote, when Dave did it, it was always funnier than what you wrote. And every night, he would surprise me. Every night, he did something that I just couldn't believe could be done on television. He was so quick. Um, There aren't wits like that. I think they come along once a generation. You know, Carson was one. Dave was one. um, uh, Groucho Marx. Um, There just aren't many of them that think the way they do in the moment i mean dave was just brilliant i mean he still is i got to work with him i did i worked on this uh one night only with don rickles and uh dave was one of the people who paid tribute to rickles and god damn it he still he still makes me laugh hard what was that like man oh man because in rickles i mean you know rickles is just a legend i mean i remember when i was younger i was always pissed because there was a place in new jersey called the latin casino and Rickles played there. And my brother is three years older than me. And my brother was allowed to go, but I wasn't. And I still remember that. Then the Latin Casino closed. But even this is, I mean, I'm 50. So this is back when I was like nine. I mean, let him, I mean let, uh, Rickles was insane then. What was it like? Had you met him before? Yeah. Sadly enough, I had met him before. My friend, a really good friend of mine that I met on Letterman named Peter LaSalle. He was the executive producer on Letterman. And we've stayed friends. And... Um, uh, we go out to dinner, our wives and uh, and uh, Peter and I, we go out to dinner a lot. And uh, he just celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, <laughs> uh, so we were invited and, and uh, uh, we, got, we get there and um, Peter goes, oh, I, I want you to speak, right? Well, the other people speaking at the... And a 50th anniversary party are uh, Gary Shandling, uh, David Steinberg, Craig Ferguson, and Don Rickles. And then there's me, right? I mean, one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> and they'd all prepared, and I hadn't. He just told me when I got there, right? And to, he can't say no. It's a 50th right, yeah. wedding anniversary. And you, I love the guy, and I love, I love Alice. Well, it gets worse because now I go on right before Rickles. So I go and I'm just, you know, kind of being sincere, couple jokes, but now Rickles is introduced and I become Rickles' act. <laughs> I'm the schmuck now that Rickles is making fun of for, for 15 minutes and it's a surreal experience because it's very funny when Rickles is making fun of somebody else. Right. <laughs> Nothing's better, right? Uh, look at that guy. And, he's, and now he's doing it to me, and I'm kind of hovering over it in my mind, and it's going, oh, it's kind of funny, but I don't, I don't think I like it that much. So, so, so I remember, and then afterwards, people go, oh, congratulations, you're in the club now, but I thought it was kind of a, sh- a bad club to be in. I didn't think it was a great club at the moment. And so uh, I got the chance to work on this trip because I love Rickles. I mean, you watch what he did. I don't know if you've ever seen him uh, uh, if you go on youtube you can see him at reagan's inauguration he performed at reagan's inauguration and he basically calls uh reagan stupid in his at his inauguration and it's hilarious he's hilarious and you watch this guy he's really he's just a monster on stage so i've always loved him and anytime you get the opportunity to 
pay tribute to that generation. You do, because those are the guys we watched when we were coming up. And it was a beautiful night, and we had Jerry Seinfeld, John Stewart, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, uh, Letterman, Scorsese, De Niro, Johnny Depp. I don't know why Johnny Depp right. was <laughs> a, on, on that. But anyway, it was it was that's how... He loves Don Rickles, too. Um, I'm sure I've left out a couple people. Oh, uh, the guy who does uh, the news on NBC, Brian Williams, okay. was great. Anyway, so it's this all-star night, and afterward... Oh, and Tracy Morgan just was hilarious. I always love him on Letterman oh because... God. Because you know what? When he comes on, it's everything is just so bizarre and random, but it's so funny. I mean, you sit there and go... He's just talking about midgets or something one time with Letterman, and, I'm, and Letterman just lets him go. And I was Tracy like, Morgan like, and is... I was I die whenever I see him. It, I don't want to use the genius word because it's overused, but that guy is hysterical. I've worked, I worked with him on a sitcom last year, the FX sitcom, that they were going we're gonna to go to series in July, but he got in the car accident. And I worked with him on a stand-up special. He's... I, I, I said Chris Rock is the funniest person I've ever been around. Well, it's... Letterman is the quickest wit I've ever been around, but Tracy Morgan is, no one has more skills than that guy. I mean, they talk about five tools players in baseball. He's a five tools player in comedy. He's like Eddie Murphy in that sense. Well, what I heard about Tracy was, because you probably, you know T. Sean Shannon? Yes. Well, T, he was like the writer for Saturday Night Live, and he said, working with Tracy, it was like, when you went, it was like a roller coaster. You're going, oh my god, what am I getting? Oh, what? But he goes, but at the end, it always paid off. It always, it always, it always worked. He, said, he would sit there and go off, and you go, what the hell? I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to get hurt, you know. And it would always work. Here's the thing about Tracy. Tracy's been sober eight years or something now, right? So, what's great about Tracy is, even though he's sober, he still seems as if he's a mess, right? Whatever. And a lot of people, when they sober up, they get boring and they're not funny anymore. Tracy still seems crazy, which is wonderful. Right. He is he is one of the funniest people I've I've ever seen. I can't believe the stuff he does. I mean, he's a great stand-up. He can act. He can uh, he can do characters, he can do impressions. He uh he sings. You should hear him sing. My god, he can do a Michael Jackson impression that you I mean, the guy is uh and he's and he's getting better. He's going to he's 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 going to be just fine. So now what what went on with the Rickles thing? So that whole the whole Oh, so look at you go at, at the end of it all these funny people go up and Rickles does 11 minutes off the top of his head and he's the funniest one in the room. I mean, he just wings it, right? And it's and, he, and he's not young. That's the thing. He's he's, he's eighty eight. Yeah, my my friend saw him, in and he's hunched Atlantic over City. because he was sitting he was in sick. his chair. Or yeah. he was sitting in a chair yeah. the whole time in Atlantic City. They said he still killed. That's yeah, my he friend. Killed. Yeah, it's, his whole it, family goes. He's hysterical. I mean, it, <laughs> um, I don't know what it is. A lot of the stuff he says really doesn't make sense, um, but it's still funny. You know, <laughs> say stuff. He goes, Jerry. He goes, talking to you is like talking to myself. What does that mean? Right, but, but it's, it's, it's delivery. It's just, yeah, it's delivery. Ah, great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Regis is there. Regis is always a great... Uh, he's always good for a few laughs. Um, uh, it was a it was a wonderful night. We It was shot in the Apollo. So the feel was uh, like New York in the 1960s. Rat packish, you know. And it was just done well. And Don Misher produced it. And uh, he's another pro. It was just w- one of those special nights. I'm going to ask you a question. I remember when I, as I sent you a message a few years back trying to get you on the show, and you said you were living in God, Australia. It's been a few years. Yeah, I did. I took seven years. My wife's Australian, so we went and lived there for yeah, okay, seven I, years. No, now, how did, how did, I mean, because you're in LA and yeah. you're working on these different shows, and you know, and as you look, you know, you, you did the Ali G show, all these shows, and all, all of a sudden you sit there and go, does she want to go back there? Or do you sit there and go, I'm just, I want to get away from LA for a while. I mean, how did you end up back in Australia? And it's so random. You don't hear comedians moving to Australia. No, I I did. Well, after my first Letterman spot, I got booked in Australia because I've always loved traveling, right? So in 89, I went there for the first time. And Rita Rutner's husband had a club there. And after my Letterman spot, I got booked in Australia and I went. I loved it. Um, I was there for three weeks performing, and so I, I booked myself back again, and this time I met my wife. And, uh, you know, fell madly in love. She came back with me at a certain point, and um, 
but every year we'd take a trip to Australia. And at a certain point, we bought a property there on the beach. And um, we kind of, the dream was always to move there and live in it. And we didn't know when, maybe it would be when we were much older or whatever. But then the Writers Guild strike happened. And we also had this thing happen, uh, a good, a close friend of ours um, uh, died and um, she was also from Australia, his, or his wife. So we all moved back together. It just seemed like a good time to just see what, and the global financial crisis was just, you could see it, it was just, you could see that real estate values in California were going to collapse. You just knew it. So we decided to sell our house and move to the beach in Australia and just see what happened. You know, the Writers Guild strike was just brutal, and I didn't want to hang around for that. And, um, you know, we were there for six and a half years or seven years. Now, what'd you do when you were over there? Basically, well, the idea was to... Uh, um, uh, you know, make some shows there and then make some shows here. But I ended up, there's just not a lot of work there. So I would travel back and forth a lot. And then it just got to the point where we have four kids. So uh, it just got to the point where I was traveling. To, the whole point was to have an easier life. And now I'm commuting from 16 hours. Yeah to work and so I've heard, it, I've heard it wasn't the beach is fine but um, you know I wasn't spending that much time on the beach I've heard that flight's hell too you get used to it really fast really yeah the flight wasn't it wasn't that bad it was just being away from my wife and kids I mean the, the whole point was we were going to spend more time together and now I'm flying back and and you can only do that so long before the good work starts to dry up and you're just stuck with lousy jobs so. what was it like living on the beach in australia that must have been like paradise it was pretty good i mean it's, you, you were right on the beach we were on the beach our front yard was the beach so i mean that's i mean and it's i've heard the beaches are beautiful over yeah there. they're beautiful and and, he, and look at australia is a wonderful place to live I, we just went back we were there um uh, about two weeks ago we were there for a couple of weeks and um no it's wonderful and and we have family there and her family's <coughs> believe it or not, i can't believe i'm saying this but i, I love my in-laws and uh um, we we loved it. It's just that it, it got to be too hard. So then, how did you decide? You just said we have to move back to LA, or yeah, it's basically got the phone on the uh, got the call on the red phone. You know, this the experiment's over. Um, yeah, you start to you start to figure out that it's not a. It, this is the trend. This is what you're going to be doing. If you're going to make this work, you're going to be on a plane a couple times a month traveling back to the states to work and then at a certain point you're not going to find the work that you can do while living over there so uh you know we decided to come back so when did you work, move back uh, about a year and a half ago okay a little over a year and a half ago so now what were some of the shows you were working on when you were coming commuting i mean basically the sense that we were commuting from australia yeah no i australia. did a documentary chris rock and i did a documentary called good hair that's about the barbershop yeah right? about the well it's about african-american yeah. hair now yeah. th did you write that with him or how did how did you guys because i want to how did you yeah. guys get to do a documentary i mean i mean like what did you say how do you write a documentary? Because you're both comedy writers, and it's something so different. And it's like, you always think documentaries are just a lot of footage and edited. Yeah, look, it it was a uh, Chris had always talked about this hair show in Atlanta called Bronner Brothers Hair Show, and it's insane. It's the biggest convention in uh, the Southeast in the U.S. And what it is is just African American hair products, and it attracts. 200,000 people a day or something. It's crazy. And I didn't know anything about this world of, of African-American hair. And he said, there's this hair show that you got to see. And it's a Bronner Brothers hair show. And I think 10,000 people come out to see it. And it's African-American hairstylists performing while they style hair. And it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And it's all built around this huge, huge economy uh, based on African-American hair products. And we kind of focused on weaves um, and, and everything that comes out of that, and, which is, you know, the, the hair, I don't know if you know anything about weaves, but the hair comes from India. The best weave hair comes from these uh, temples. Uh, Hindu temples in India. 
So it's a, it's a fascinating world and hilarious at the same time. Relaxer. We had great people in the documentary. We've had Maya Angelou and Al Sharpton, and who's very funny, Al Sharpton. Um, uh, we had Della Reese. We had all these great people who were talking about how important their hair is and also the political ramifications. So anyway, it was just something that Chris had thought about and uh, he asked me to do it because I would do all the kind of the, the mini documentaries that we would do on the Chris Rock show. I was in charge of those. And it was, it was a great, took about two years. It was wonderful. So would you just shoot the footage and have a bunch of footage then would you guys just yeah. get together and hash it through and say here's how yeah. it should write? We, you know, we had a plan as far as what we wanted to, to shoot and uh, we went to, do you know what hair relaxer is? Yeah, I've heard uh, it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's a chemical that straightens African-American hair. We went to um, a, uh, a, a factory where relaxer is made. We went to the hair show, uh, the Browner Brothers hair show. We went to India. We went to the temple where um, uh, Indians would tonsure their hair. They'd sacrifice their hair to God, giving him thanks for the good things in their lives. And then the temple would turn around and sell the hair. And and then it would be processed and uh, exported to the United States and made into weaves. So we went to the temple. It was insane. I mean, people lining up and uh, to tonsure their hair and then the, the hair being taken away and they and they're not even aware that when they tonsure their hair that it's it's um it's going to be made into weaves in the united states that's insane and end up on a stripper's head that's insane. you know it was great so um at one point we actually introduced an indian woman we took her she was now living in the united states and we took her to a hair salon in harlem and showed her where in theory anyway her tonsured hair could end up and she just couldn't believe it so um it was an amazing uh experience i learned so much and had a great time i spent a lot of time in barber shops and hair salons talking to people and um it was it was fun and we did all right we won the uh we won the uh, award at sundance for best documentary or whatever i see you've also written for some uh in the past you wrote for some emmy awards Oh yeah, I've done. A, I like to do award shows. I like to do um, specials. I've done the Emmys. I've done the Academy Awards, uh, Grammys. I think I've done all the big ones. And what's the process now? Because I, I, do you know Paul Greenberg? I don't. He he's he just he's wrote this year's Emmys. He's been an Emmy writer. You probably know Tom Catalbiano. Yeah, yeah. Tom's. Uh, but there are two guys. Uh, a Raymond writer, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he's, he writes. Uh, different tv stuff yeah award shows what is your process is, is the process when you would write you know the award shows very close to the process when you wrote for letterman back when letterman did a lot of things it's sort of that same thing I, I always write for the host on those shows I, i'm usually hired by the host there are two different sets of writers they're writers for the show and then they're writers for the host writers for the show they'll do uh the stuff for the presenters they'll do stuff for the announcer um, and then the other writers who work for the host just write his material or her material. I worked I worked with Ellen a couple of times on the Emmys and the Academy Awards. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's uh, you, you you figure out where the host will appear in the show. Uh, you know he or she is going to do a monologue, so you have to write monologue jokes. You have to write. You know they introduce all the presenters, so you write those. Um, there are usually a couple comedy bits in the middle of the show that you write, and that's it. It's fun. Now, throughout doing all this writing, do you ever get on stage anymore? Do you ever? I actually did shows when I was in Australia. I did. Uh, I did shows a couple weeks ago. Now, what, what were the crowds like? Are they? I mean, are they? Are they the same? Or because I mean, we always everyone makes a joke. Well, hell, Paul Hogan was a superstar there. Everyone, you know, everyone <laughs> says the same thing. Like, wait a second, you know. But uh, and Yako, what, no, what was his name? Is uh, Yahoo Serious? Yahoo you know, you Serious. Who well, I don't know what happened to him. Ever. No one knows. No idea. <laughs> Australians don't know where exactly. Yahoo Serious is. But so that's like, what, what is it? And is it intimidating to you because you you've you've probably lost your uh, chops a little bit. I have, yeah. Because you were, oh, especially because you're on a road for so yeah. long, and you know how it is when you're on the road. Is it was it weird? I mean, wh why did you decide to get back on stage when you were? It's over fun. There? It's in my blood. I love it. It is. It's like. Do you remember the old timers uh, games oh, yeah. in baseball? You oh, know, yeah. he's, you know, Willie Mays can't catch a fly ball anymore. Oh, I yeah. think it's probably like that when I'm on stage. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not comparing myself to Willie Mays, by the way, as far as my stand up goes. But uh, 
Yeah, look, at, I, I still get hired, um, and I get laughs. It's but it's not. You're just not on top. You don't. You're not plugged in. You have to. You have to do it every night to be, to be good. You have to do it every night. You just. It's so hard, and if you want to be at the top of your game, you just have to do it full time. Now, for you, but I love it. I absolutely love it. For you, not when you were doing these shows in Australia, because you've written for so many different people. Is it? Do you find it hard for write for yourself sometimes, or do you? I mean, because you're writing for styles, or what? How do you do that? Writing for yourself is the best thing in the world because you can't blame anybody if it sucks. It's your fault. And there's something uh, comforting in that, knowing that I wrote this, I did it, it sucked, it's my fault. But you also get credit if it works. So uh, it's really pure, and it's fun. I mean, as long as you're not sucking horribly, it's fun. Right. I mean, well, sucking at all is bad, but uh, you're never going to be the comic you were when you're really young. It, it, but um, you can still kind of do all right and if you're talking about your life your real life um and you're honest to a degree you still can can get by now has your i had a i had a stinker of a gig while i was there i took a private gig just i don't know why i go i'm gonna see what this is like and i was at a yacht club and it was man i i had forgotten about those and i thought i I hadn't done one for a long time. And I go, I'm going to see what this is like. It was horrible. And I got that feeling of, it's almost vertigo when you start to bomb so badly that, you know, you feel as if you're kind of spinning down right. into the earth, you know, and uh, you feel every blood vessel in your body, you know, the, the blood is pumping so hard, I think, just to keep you from fainting. Now, is, is your material that you do now different than what you did Back yeah, on the road. Is it, yeah. Is it, is it more because I was single on the road and I didn't have kids, and uh, so I had a completely different life. So now, yeah, it has changed. Has and your delivery has have the pro- no, have my longer jokes? Much the, are the, the jokes longer now, or no? They're they're not. And I think if if I were really to work on a on, on another act completely, I would do that. I would uh, you know I would I would pick topics that i could go more into depth with it's it's a different that's the one thing i've noticed being in the clubs when i'm in the clubs working out sometimes about every three years i'll do a letterman spot just to to keep my toes in it i love it i love going on letterman and just seeing if i can do it and and then i i won't do another one for three years or whatever but that's the one thing I notice is that comics will spend a little more time setting up a topic, and then maybe they'll punch it a few times in a row. We never did that. I mean, we basically, you were doing a joke every 15 or right. 20 seconds. I mean, that's just how that's, you And that's it. what the crowds yeah. wanted. If you, were, if you weren't getting that laugh, yeah. laugh, laugh, because you're like, well, wait, this isn't working. Yeah, no. And also, you know, you would... You wanted to get on the Tonight Show or Letterman, and that's how you got on. You could you could bang out jokes, and I watch comics now, and this is the old guy in me. I'll watch him and go, "Well, you're kind of cheating. You're 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 spending fifty seconds setting something up, and then yeah, then you'll punch it. But my God, we we just couldn't. Right? We we couldn't do that. It's you know? So now you wrote you wrote on Last Comic Standing. I well, yeah, I did. Yeah, but was this yeah. past season? Yeah. What was that? That like? was fun, um, because Wanda's the producer, and I had I was supposed to go from working on a show. I was working with George Lopez on a show, and then I was supposed to go from that to Tracy's show in July. And I had this five month window open, and Wanda called and asked if I wanted to work on Last Comic Standing with her, and it, it fit in perfectly. And it was great to watch. I remember we watched a hundred comics in four days and to watch that many comics in young comics it was it was really educational it was and and made me feel good there are a lot of really funny people out there so i really enjoyed it i enjoyed it now the the george lopez one was saint george yeah saint george no that was no that was a 1090 do you know are you familiar with the 1090 no no it's it's a sitcom it's a sitcom. What they do now, and this is, um, they they produce ten shows at once, right? There's not a pilot anymore. You produce 
10 shows at once, you put them on the air, and if they hit a certain number in the ratings, then the back 90 automatically kicks in, right? So there's no pilot. There are 10 pilots, basically. Um, and you produce these shows very quickly, two, two a week. And um, they go straight to syndication. Uh, Tyler Perry was the one who came up with this with this model, and so this was a this was a 1090. We put our 10 on the air on FX, and we didn't hit the number, so the back 90 didn't kick in. Kelsey Grammer and Martin Lawrence did the same thing. They're not going to hit the number either. The only show that's hit the number is that one with Charlie Sheen, Anger Management. Right. So it was an interesting experience in that uh, I never and I never worked on a 1090 but had you worked on sitcoms yeah yeah i'd worked on ellen's second sitcom i've worked on a few sitcoms um uh but nothing like this and the guys who ran it the showrunners were matt williams and david mcfadson um they did roseanne and home improvement and matt worked on cosby they're great guys and really good at what they do so it was a a wonderful experience and i've known george forever we we started stand-up together and and i like george a lot we have a few minutes left what else what else has come up for you what's next what's next on the jeff stilson well i'm i'm working with george again on a show and uh i'll work with tracy as soon as he gets better um on his sitcom and his and i work with him on a stand-up too um, and then I've got a couple other things in development. Um, uh, and, yeah, now it's starting. You know, I've been here a year and a half, and um, the move back is starting to make sense. It's fun. I get to do – that's the one thing I missed living over there was working on really good stuff. And you can do that in the States. There, this is – there's so many good television shows on right now, and there's so many different niche networks if you have an idea, you can find a place for it. It's not, it's just, there might not be the same money, but the creative opportunities, I think, are, uh, are tremendous. You know, you look at what FX is doing and AMC and Showtime and HBO. Um, uh, everybody's kind of taking a creative chance. What are some of the shows you watch? Oh, God, what am I watching now? Well, my kids make me watch The Walking Dead with them. We went to, we actually went to, do you ever go to these things? The, um, uh, they'll offer, they'll, they'll uh, have a Q&A with the stars. I've never been to them, but I've seen oh, them. I, I, now if I pay attention to them. I never used to go to them, but my kids will have favorite shows. So if one of their favorite shows, um, so we went to The Walking Dead one, and it was great. You get to ask all these, you know, the kids get to ask questions about, their favorite episodes and um uh what am i watching now i love key and peel right I, I love the way they've recreated uh or reinvented um sketch it's brilliant they're they they don't miss very much and some of the stuff is absolutely hilarious that's hard to pull off in sketch and it's single camera too there's no immediate feedback from the audience um uh what else? I, I'm all over the place. You're watching Ray Donovan. I've not. I've heard Ray Donovan so is great. Good. I've only seen one episode. There's just so much. I got. I got four kids, so it's hard for yeah, me. So to me, to, to, it's hard for me to watch as much TV as I'd like. See, I, I do the DVR a lot. I don't watch a lot of TV. My so girlfriend watches a lot of DV, TVD, and we just we just switched to, from Charter to AT and T, so you can do four. Uh, shows. Oh, how is that? So are you happy? Yeah, well, uh, we had problems because it kept screwing up. I don't know why, because we had a problem with our upstairs TV. But now it's great. I saved a lot of money, and I got like $250 in gift cards for switching to them. And having four, to record four shows, before when we had charter, you have to record one downstairs, and you couldn't, you know, you right. record. now it's all universal. So I can watch one I recorded upstairs. It, it makes it a lot better. So... Check it out. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks are you for, a, uh, are you a Twitter? Do you tweet or how can people? I don't. I don't tweet. You know, but you're such a good. You're such a good joke writer. You should. I don't. I can't. All right. Well, he doesn't tweet, it's, but it's. Uh, I got. I got four kids. <laughs> it's a, That's my excuse for, for everything. I want to thank you for coming on, Jeff. Uh, people. So yeah. So uh, people follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website CooperTalk.net. 
Um, just posting today, I'm posting my 290th episode. Um, what else? Oh, go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word, Cooper Talk. You can uh, find all those episodes there. If you have a Google uh, Android stuff, go to the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk. You get the Cooper Talk app. Once again, you can listen to all my shows on that. Uh, iHeartRadio is supposed to be happening this week or next week. I'm still waiting. We, you know, we, we've done everything. I'm just waiting to find it out. Uh, send me an email, Cooper at coopertalk.net no longer the old email and that's about it uh, hopefully the Eagles will win this week they're playing uh, Indianapolis on a Monday night so yeah Ooh, that's good yeah so keep listening to people I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins you guys have a safe and sound weekend don't drink and drive because it's bad for you <laughs>